Who are the Pharisees? Many of us think we know. Here are a few answers we have given across the centuries. There have always been some Christians who regard all observant Jews as Pharisees. Rabbinic Judaism itself is Pharisaical, overly strict, hypocritical, formalistic, self-righteous. But Jews are far from the only targets of such criticism. In the 12th century, St. Peter the Venerable, abbot of Cluny, accused St. Bernard and the early Cistercian monks of being a new race of the Pharisees brought back to the world, dividing themselves from others, preferring themselves to the rest. In the 16th century, the English Protestant Bible translator William Tyndale referred derisively to the scholastic theologians of his day as our pharisaical doctors. A final target of this criticism comes from the turn of the 20th century. Have you heard of a woman named Carrie Nation? Mrs. Nation was a strict evangelical who campaigned for temperance by smashing saloons with a hatchet. One American journalist dubbed her a, quote, Pharisee in petticoats. So who are the Pharisees? According to some, they can be Jews. To others, they can be Catholics. Others, they can be Protestants. Just about anyone who seems strict or hypocritical may find himself or herself accused of being a Pharisee. But what about according to Jesus himself? When we turn to his own words about the Pharisees, we will see a much more nuanced picture begin to emerge. Today's Gospel features one of Jesus' many rebukes of the Pharisees. They are, he says, disregarding God's law and clinging to human tradition. But elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus not only acknowledges their righteousness under the law, but their authority to teach it. In Matthew's Gospel, where they play an especially prominent role, Jesus declares to his disciples, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, think of the most righteous men you know, the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm calling you to be even more righteous than they are, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus also gives his disciples this remarkable command. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Jesus stands in agreement with many aspects of Pharisaic teaching. Like the Pharisees, he opposes the corrupt temple priesthood. Like them, he affirms the resurrection of the body, the existence of angels, the importance of fasting and almsgiving, and the necessity of oral tradition. So Jesus himself holds a more nuanced view of the Pharisees than many Christians do. What does that matter for us today? One reason I think it matters is that the Pharisees were people very much like ourselves. They, too, were faithful believers who lived in a time of religious and political crisis. 
In the face of great challenges, they strove to remain zealous for God, zealous for His law, and zealous for the renewal of His people. I would argue that the key to the Pharisaic movement is not hypocrisy, but holiness. The beginning of their story is recounted in the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. In 175 BC, a tyrant named Antiochus IV Epiphanes came to power and began forcing Israel to conform to Gentile ways. At this moment of crisis, there arose a group of Jewish warriors zealous for the law. Under their first leader, Judas Maccabeus, they led a successful revolt against their Hellenistic overlords and reestablished an independent Jewish nation. They purified the temple of pagan practices, revived the people's observance of Torah, and renewed Israel's covenant with God. It was this campaign for purification and renewal that the Pharisaic movement, it was in this campaign for purification and renewal that the Pharisaic movement had its origins. The word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word that means set apart or separated. The Pharisees knew that from the calling of Abraham to the exodus from Egypt to the Maccabean revolt, holiness had always required separation. To be holy, whether as a person or as a nation, always meant to be set apart from what is unholy, from defilement, as they put it in today's gospel. Now, traditionally, it was Israel's temple priesthood that exemplified this separation from defilement. But the Pharisees desired not just a holy priesthood, but a holy nation. We might even call them the universal holiness movement of the first century. Two thousand years before Vatican II proclaimed that all the baptized are called to holiness, the Pharisees were teaching all the circumcised to aspire to the moral and ritual purity of the priesthood. In this brief outline of their story, I believe that we can find many elements of our own story. Like Israel in the Maccabean period, the Church of the 21st century West finds itself engulfed in a religious and political crisis. We Catholics can learn much from the zeal of the Pharisees, especially their zeal for a renewed holiness that embraces all of God's people. But the Pharisees erred in thinking that holiness comes about primarily through external separation. This prevented them from seeing that in the person of Jesus, the all-holy God himself had broken down the ultimate wall of separation, the separation between God and man. He had entered into the defilement of his fallen creation in order to renew its holiness from within. The more we can see ourselves in the Pharisees, the more we can share in the salvation that the greatest Pharisee, St. Paul the Apostle, himself proclaimed. What dwells within us can defile, but what dwells within us can also make us holy. 
For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. But I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me.